Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels next to the Upside Down and arrive at episode number 345, where we've got more stories than you could possibly imagine. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. I'm trying to figure out if I get it or not. He, he doesn't get to go into the Upside Down. He's next to the Upside Down. Did they ever call it the Upside Down? Yeah. No, but, no, but no. it pretty much was. No, 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 no. <laughs> they, they used the term because I thought, wow, they coined that phrase before... Uh, Stranger Things did. They called it. He called it the Upside Down. I must have missed the, that. the guy that has come through. The, yeah. the what they call him, the first mate. Yeah. He <laughs> actually calls it the Upside Down. Okay. Well, it works then. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys? I approve of this open. Good. <laughs> I'm Sean, and I approve of this open. <laughs> did you guys have a good week? Yes. Not bad. I finished. Uh, Peter Davison's book. How, how was the rest of it? It's good. It's um, it's really interesting. Uh, as I alluded to last week, there's not a lot of Doctor Who in it, but there is a, a section of Doctor Who. Did the actor chapter. despair? <laughs> he does very oh, very often. Gotta very say spoilers, often. Glenn. And then uh, he also talks about conventions, uh, doing the convention circuit. So that's a chapter, or at least a part of a chapter in that book as well. So hmm. or in that yeah, in the book as well. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's. Um, it's everything I didn't know I knew about Peter Davison that I didn't know there was to know about Peter <laughs> Davison. Uh, it's uh, he leads a relatively interesting mundane life, and by that I mean he has interesting things to say, but nothing. It, he doesn't have this. You, you, you know, he's not a huge star. Yeah. But he's always been working, and he even talks about what he calls the, his wilderness years in the 1990s, where he didn't. He wasn't on TV much anymore, and he was doing, you know, he did Arizona Solution, the Arizona Solution, Solution with uh, Sylvester McCoy and uh, Colin Baker. And in fact, uh, John Pertwee got involved because he heard those three guys were doing it. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, he talks about those and, and how rough it was. And he talks about his three different marriages and, you know, how Georgia comes along. And yeah, so uh, like I say, it's, it's an interesting read because he. He does not. He's never done anything spectacular, but he always has. He's always had this tremendous luck when it's come to his career, and every time that that things seem to go down, um, something else comes along that kind of helps. And so it's 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 quite interesting. And I, 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 other than the few very few things I'd seen him in, such as All Creatures Great and Small and uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and and some of those things, and then of course Doctor Who, I knew nothing else about him. And I'm actually. I'm glad he came to this book from the point of view of if I sit down and write a book about Doctor Who, I'm not going to be telling anything new to most fans of Doctor Who that already know more about my life than I do at this point in his life. <laughs> and I appreciated that because there was a lot of stuff I learned about him that I had no idea. So it was it, it's it's quite interesting. I finished the brief history of Time Lords. <laughs> which we we've decided I'd ask, we're going to review. How it is, so. but since we know we're going to be reviewing it, I don't right. think we should yeah, yeah. tip our hats. So. Yeah, so I'm, I won't say much more than that. But you can go check out my. I didn't. I gave it stars. I don't think I gave an actual review on Goodreads. So, I uh, we we found out that we made the um, top eight potentially uh, uh, films in the short film contest. Congratulations! Thank you. I'm very excited by that and. 
When's it going to be released online so those of us not in the circle can watch it? Uh, the official judging is September 5th. Okay. So we have, I have to go back to Kansas City one more time. <laughs> which I went, I went down to the viewing, which I mean, the viewings are always fun to get together and see the screening of, of, of all these short films. Had I known that wasn't the judging night and it was just the <laughs> Probably screening, wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> I'd have just waited. But um, what else we do? Finally, re, uh, finally picked up and rewatched Guardians 2 this week. That's so good. As did I. I did too. I finished The Defenders. How was the rest of it? It was so good. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I loved it so much. And the, 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 the small problem I have with it is a little bit at the end, but they kind of fix it. But I can't tell you what it is because it would, it would drastically spoil it. So, um, but they, they sort of fix it. So it's, it's not so bad. Um, but yeah, quite enjoyable. It's <laughs> action-packed all the way to the end. I, I really appreciated that the chemistry between all the characters is, is fantastic. So nice. We were continuing our uh, Deep Space Nine rewatch and got up to the point where the uniforms changed, and I went, "Oh, it's time to watch First Contact." <laughs> 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 I forgot that happened. That's my cue. So we went and, and popped that in, and you know, I was just okay. It's you know time for this, and we'll jump back over to this because we're kind of trying to do those part uh, in in sequence. And Mel sat there like. Just wide-eyed through the, and I, I kind of kept looking at her. I was like, "Have you not seen First Contact?" <gasps> She's not seen she First had Contact. Never seen it. If she oh, had, really? If she Gosh. said, "If I've seen it, I do not remember anything about it." She says, oh, "I don't think I've ever wow. seen it." That's my second favorite trick, though. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, "Oh, okay." And she goes, "Oh, I loved it." I was like, "Okay, good." <laughs> <laughs> That's the correct response. Yeah. Though, so. Yeah. Wow. We finished Orphan Black. It was a it was a satisfying conclusion that didn't. Almost didn't feel like a conclusion. There's some of it that, while if if it was definitely the end, it almost didn't feel climactic enough, or reached high enough to end. I don't I don't know how to describe it. It it, it was satisfying, but it didn't feel as satisfying as it could have been. Maybe that's it. We also watched Going in Style. Wasn't that fun? That was fun. I didn't know it was a remake. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, George Burns film. Really? Yeah. That's the only version I've seen. The, re- <laughs> is the, the George Burns the version. The new version's good. I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. It's very cute. Yeah. It's it's just a it's just a fun little movie. And the the chemistry between uh Michael Caine and Alan Arkin and uh, Morgan Freeman is just to die for. They're oh very, yeah. They're very, Absolutely. very funny. Yeah. We did flicks with friends Xanadu. Uh, I forgot all about it, Sean. I wondered where you were at. I even <laughs> no, I even saw it on our uh uh the little thread you have on Facebook, the message, because I, I didn't realize I had accidentally muted that, and I was going through some stuff on Facebook, and I was like, oh, crud, and so I unmuted it. Well, and here's the thing is... I'm sorry, I was ignoring you. Well, I was, but it was inintentional. And, uh, but it wasn't even like I just I noticed today that it was muted. I noticed yesterday and went, oh, yeah, Xanadu, I'll be trying to do I'm going to do that tonight. And then uh, tonight came, and I completely spaced you it. You missed so. out. As with every time when I watch Xanadu, I go, I really don't remember anything about this movie. Like I, <laughs> every, I've seen Xanadu. I know I've seen Xanadu. And then I watch Xanadu and I go, <laughs> all I remember is the neon and, and Olivia Newton-John. That's about it. <laughs> That's all that sticks with me. Because there's this whole oh. segment where they're at the office and he's yelling at the painters. and the, you know, I don't care. <laughs> Hurry up and get back to the... There's the muses. Okay, cool. What is with the roller skating? I don't remember the roller skating. <laughs> yeah, so it's new to me every single time I watch this movie. <laughs> really? 
Sanity is one of those films I watch probably once a year at really? some point. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I it's it's a bad movie. I'm just going to. It is a bad movie. It's a bad it's movie. It is. It is the quintessential guilty pleasure for me. Yeah. It is the quintessential guilty pleasure film. See, we could have used you. On oh, it. I yeah. I I really I really felt bad that I missed it. It wasn't until today that I remembered. It. I was like, hey. Well, you'll get to watch it once I get it edited. I've got Mel and Kara on the couch and. Is that all? That's it. Oh man, I wish James what, showed what up for you the need to do is you need to you need the... to text me because you know I'm terrible on those yeah, social media true. feeds. If you get a text to me, I'll go. Oh yeah, I'm okay, doing that. So, did you do anything else, Sean? I don't think so. If I did, I don't remember it. All right, should we move on to news? Yeah, let's. Our first bit of news comes from our friends over at Candy Jar Books. They have announced a new book called The Lucy Wilson Mysteries Avatars of the Intelligence, written by Sue Hampton. Yay! Which, if you'll remember, when we reviewed uh, Havoc Files 3, there's a short story in there called Lucy Wilson that sets up the relationship between her and her grandfather. That was also written by Sue Hampton, and so this will be the continuing adventures of Lucy Wilson. And her friend uh, Hobo? Trying to find his name. (laughs) Yeah, Hobo. Which I think must be short. Yeah, new friend. Which I think must be short for, short for like Hobarth or something that, you know, it's, I just can't imagine somebody's name being Hobo. I yeah. think that's got to be short for something, but okay. Hold the boat. Not Hodor. <laughs> Hobo. Hold the boat. Hobo. 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 All he says is his name, Hobo. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like Lethbridge Stewart will be in it too. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's going to be an actual, uh, a series of novels aimed at the younger crowd. So it sort it's of kind sounds of like Sarah Jane Adventures of the Lethbridge Stewart line. Sort of sound, yeah. It sounds like um, Alfred Hitchcock presents, and like <laughs> or no, Alfred Hitchcock's and the, and the Three Investigators that I used to read when I was a kid, and it was these three guys. There's an Alfred Hitchcock children's line. Yeah, it was called really? Alfred Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators, and basically he was they it was this group of kids that went around solving mysteries. And it was often set up with them visiting Alfred Hitchcock and him kind of helping them guide them along in their mysteries. But it was a very small part about it. And I got the impression that this will be Lucy and her friend running around solving these mysteries. with, And the help from Lethbridge Stewart will be kind of a bookending type thing where they get a little bit of advice from Grandpa or he steers them in the right direction for something, which was very much in line with the Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators. I had no also, idea that was a thing. Yeah. In addition to... Obviously, the great intelligence being involved because of the title. The Brig will be in there along with a couple other characters well known to the fans of the Lethbridge Stewart range of books and the Web of Fear. Yeah. So, not only Lethbridge Stewart, but other characters are going to be popping up. Yay. And when do these come out? Trying to find the release date. I believe it's after the first of the year. And we'll actually be you can reviewing. We will be reviewing the book. Uh, we've got an advanced copy, so we're going to be reviewing the book here in a few weeks down the road. Spoiler free. Spoiler free. Spoiler free. Spoiler it hasn't released free. yet. We're going to give you a sneak peek of it. I'm excited. I, I'm really kind of jazzed by this. Yeah, me too. Another bit of news. Uh, Russell T. Davies got a special award. He did. Russell T. Davies was given the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Edinburgh international television festival and that's pretty much for his body of work um everybody knows he's done doctor who clearly but he's also uh was a uh, the creator of queer's folk casanova the cucumber which i've never heard of the cucumber 
Huh. And uh, so he was awarded that. And, and Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures. <laughs> Aliens versus That's just it. Yeah, he, he goes on to talk about how he, you know he's done things like um, uh, being a children's presenter. And he's, he's done a, a myriad of things in television, specifically on the BBC. Queer's Folk was one. I think during his uh, speech, uh, he did uh, sort of defend the BBC and its kind of quasi-attack by the government that's trying to kind of wane itself off of it and shut it down but uh, that's still going on yeah apparently so i mean i think that the the british government really feels like the bbc is just hang on and they're having to provide way too much money for something that they don't really need anymore since there's so much commercial television in the uk Mm -hmm. now there's no need for a government channel um but and then also just as an uh, added um at the uh, festival bbc one was named channel of the year so Apparently they are still needed. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Our last bits of news uh, comes from Big Finish. And speaking of Torchwood, Captain John Hartz is going to return in an upcoming story. <gasps> the story called The Death of Captain Jack. Is there a number or an asterisk in that title? <laughs> <laughs> and featuring, of course... Captain John Hartz with James Marsters returning in the role. Nice. Which I don't know how else they could have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then another bit of news. Big Finish has announced Tales from New Earth. Is this the Uh, official... What does that entail, Keith? Do we know? (laughs) Is it the Uh, official New Earth, New Earth? It is the official New Earth, New Earth. Is it new, 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 New Earth? It has cats on the cover. So no, it's, it's New Earth, but it's New, 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 New York. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. On New Earth. New, 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 New York. Because there was 13 news? 19. I don't remember anymore. There was a high number of news. But we just abbreviated to New, New York. Well, regardless, <laughs> it's going to be a box set of four. None of these stories take place in New New York, do they? <laughs> well, <coughs> yeah, there is. Because there's Escape from New New York. Oh, okay then. I Death from the New Forest, Skies of New, New Earth, and the Cats of New Cairo. So just a, a variety of stories based off Wait, of... Wait, does every city in New Earth start with new new on it? Is that well, why? Of course. Is that why it's New Earth? New Cairo, New York, New London. New New York. New New, New, New York, yeah. <laughs> new New City's Mexico. So they named it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so they are ex- inspired by the ninth and 10th Doctor stories. So not only just New Earth is inspiring this. Uh, I'm trying to see... Gridlock would have been the other one that was set in New New York, right? On New Earth? Right. Yes. Is the face of Bo in one of these? They don't say. Uh-huh. Novice <laughs> Haim is now, is returning. The cat. The cat lady, yeah. What about Brannigan? Does not say anything about Brannigan. Oh, oh. bummer. <laughs> Actually, any of those characters in any of those cars much, that he skipped yeah. to would be... A boon for me. I think I'd, I'd listen to it based on any of those. Well, I'll listen to it anyway. Especially yeah. the old lady. The old le- lesbian old couple. Lady, they, yeah. were they were great. I loved yeah. them. There's also uh, Sapling Vale. So more of the tree people. Mm. Oh, From cool. End of the World. Right. Hence the Ninth Doctor connection. Yeah. That would be the Ninth Doctor connection. because <laughs> Right, but that was End of the World. That wasn't New New York. No, but, he's, but they're saying that... 
they because came from this the Earth. this species is in this series. That's the connection of the Ninth Doctor because the Ninth Doctor had nothing to do with oh, you're right. New Earth yeah, and we, New New York. Was, uh... yes. I, why, why do we keep saying New New York? Just New Earth. <laughs> I don't because it's fun to say New New. Because it it's is. fun to say New York. <laughs> uh, Yasmin Bannerman is returning to play a sampling of her character Jabe. Ah, neat. That's a nifty way of of doing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. pulling a group with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's pretty that's a, a unique way to expand the new who range that I didn't expect them to do. Yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> that's for certain. <laughs> and if Big Finish is going to do it well, so I mean, uh, I'm sure they asked the production team, "Is there anything you're not going to touch? Well, you can have that new Earth stuff." <laughs> now, now here's the danger because now this box set sells well and it's being Big Finish, it probably will. That means that we'll get uh, you know down That's the road. It's going to be the new Jago life. Of, we'll, we'll get a box set. There's going to be fifteen of these box well, sets. <laughs> yeah, we'll just get a box set of what was that one planet in that one episode they went to. Okay, here's some yeah. from there. <laughs> oh, I'm waiting for the uh, tales of the Jagrafess. <laughs> I'm waiting for the uh, Raxacorcophallopatorius box set. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> you joke, but I mean, how great would a box set of? I just blanked on it. Never mind. Raxacallop. No, there no. was there was. I a, just said it. Mexico, oh, of Akaton. How great would an Akaton oh, box yeah. set be? Oh, yeah, Akaton. Oh, Akaton. Rings. For you, yes, Akaton. <laughs> if you want it to be that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see. You can't, what's Akaton? <laughs> you said Akaton, and my brain went to that Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> Wait, there's a... It's Octagon, I think. Octagon, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's it for news. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon us while we laugh at our own joke. <laughs> All right, Sean, so uh, we move on to feedback here. Uh, first up in feedback is Ben. Ben writes, feedback, feedback, feedback. Hey, guys, it's been a while, so bear with me, if you will. I've been meaning to write in for a while and just haven't found the time or the energy to get to it. That's okay, Ben. We didn't have the time or the energy to read it. <laughs> the end. No, I'm kidding. I'll start with books. There's been a fair amount of reading since my last feedback, so in order, here's what I've pursued and what I thought of each one. The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Think Firefly meets Babylon 5 with this one. It's really good. I highly recommend it. I wish I could say that that synopsis really intrigues me, but having only seen half of that, I I was intrigued when I read it, but then I realized I can't be intrigued because I can only be half intrigued. If if you can compare anything to Firefly, it intrigues me. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's an automatic win there. Uh, next up was The Runaway Bomb. This Lethbridge-Stewart short fell flat for me. I just didn't connect with it at all in terms of interest. Well, that's unfortunate. I enjoyed that one. Um, he followed that up with a couple of other uh, Lethbridge-Stewart shorts and Daughters of Earth, which we are going to hold on to those since we have those coming up as reviews on the podcast. So we will uh, bookmark this and make a note to come back to him and give you Ben's thoughts on those. If you're really curious, you can go to his Goodreads page. I'm sure he's uh, uh, plugged it there. Uh, so skipping forward, I then return to the world of Thera in the second installment of the Dark Crystal prequel books, Song of the Crystal. This one continues to world build wonderfully. I believe this is a trilogy, so the next story should leave us right near the beginning of the movie. By then, those who have read the series will have a much greater understanding of this world than we did when we had just the movie to go on. I'm really curious to know, maybe you know, Ben, maybe you guys have heard, because the Netflix series that's coming out is a prequel. Yes. Um... For, for the Dark Crystal, and I'm wondering if it's 
based on these books since the books are coming out first or if it's done in some conjunction with it or if it's going to be its own thing. Yeah, that I don't know. I don't know either. I'll be curious to see that. Uh, from there, it was off to Ready Player One, followed by Armada. Man, this Ernest Klein guy is off to an amazing start as an author. <laughs> These two go right up there on my all-time favorite shelf. Ready Player One wove the 80s wonderfully into it. Never once did I think, boy, this guy's lazy. He's just throwing references galore in here to chew up pages and suck up to those of us who were there and love this stuff. Nope. He used all those references wonderfully in using a really well-done story. The same goes for Armada. No spoilers here, Sean, but the references continue, and once again, they don't feel derivative at all. Yay. Looking forward to reading Ready Player One now that Keith loaned it to me. Next up, burp. <laughs> There's a lot of use. what that. it says, burp, burp. Yep, it's Curtis Armstrong's memoir. This was really quite well done, in my opinion. It was a quick oh, read. Oh, booger. Oh, okay. <laughs> it took me a little while to figure out what it was. Okay, where's burp come from? It's Curtis Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong. Okay, it was a, oh, yeah, booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Okay, we got it. It was a quick read and really informative. Definitely spoke to me in many bits of the book. I next mowed through the novella Binti. This was really well done, and I encourage anyone to seek it out. It was written by, oh, that's a... <laughs> that's a name. Nindy Akafor. Nindy Akafor. Akahatan. Akarafor. Yeah, maybe. I'm butchering that. Uh, this name will begin to sound familiar, no it won't, in coming days as her story with Who Fears Death is being adapted for either a movie or TV show. I have yet to read it, but it's on my list. That brings me to my current read, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jimson. This will also sound more and more familiar to folks. It is being adapted for TV, I believe. I've only started, but it's off to a good one. That's it for books. What have I watched? Well, let's start with Doctor Who, shall we? I signed up for BritBox. I got myself a new Apple TV. Sorry, guys, Amazon doesn't sell Apple products, so I had to go to the store on this one. <laughs> My old Apple TV was one that didn't have the hard drive and came equipped with pre-programmed channels. The new one has the App Store and lets you download apps and games, one of which is BritBox. Thus far, I have watched the first three stories of The First Doctor, skipping, of course, Marco Polo. Wonderful story. I read the Target book. Now I can hear you already. Wait, a 43-year-old, quote, lifelong, end quote, Whovian had never seen these stories? It's true. I grew up with four and have pretty much holed up with his stories. I watched some five, six, and seven as a kid, but I've stayed almost exclusively with four. He's just my guy. The first Doctor stories thus far are pretty good, but I gotta admit certain character traits throw me a bit. That's really interesting, Ben. I had no idea that you hadn't uh, experienced any of the first Doctor. So I'm glad you're I'm glad you're sampling those. The joys of Brickbox. Yeah. Uh, I finally got to see the Power Rangers movie. You may recall an earlier feedback <laughs> in which I lamented the fact that the wife and I split the kids up one night to get the movies. Wait, let me see if I remember. He got to see Boss Baby. I think that's right. She got the kid who wanted to see Power Rangers. I got the one who wanted to see Boss Baby. <laughs> <laughs> now, more than ever, I feel cheated. <laughs> Power Rangers was really good. I was never a big fan of the show, but the movie was a lot of fun for me. That's more or less it for things I've been up to, with one exception. My lawnmower died. Thanks to the hours of operation along with my work schedule, I'm having a tough time finding it possible to go and look for a new one. Why does this concern you, you may ask? Well, beyond some sympathy, it means I've been comparison shopping on Amazon. 
I think I found what I want, and come Friday, using your site, Ooh. I plan to order a new mower. Ooh. Ooh. I just don't see any other way to get it done, and at least it will benefit you guys. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. That's incredibly nice, Ben. Thank yeah. you. That's all I got, guys. Instead of the 17 cents we normally get, we'll get $17. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just making that oh, yeah. up. I don't, I don't know what the conversions are on. Probably a buck seven. <laughs> yeah, probably. We're, we're not. We're not. Every little bit helps. Yeah, though. every little bit helps. Yeah, we, we certainly like it. Uh, that's all I got, guys. Thanks for bearing with me. Take care, Time Lord Ben. Whoops! I forgot to mention that I pre-ordered Red, White, and Who months ago. It was to be released yesterday, Monday the 21st, but due to a backup at the printers, it's been delayed about a week or so. They mentioned pre-orders will be shipped out in two waves beginning Friday the 25th, hopefully, and on (laughs) Monday the 28th, hopefully. They've thrown in some bonus materials to pre-ordering folks via an email. Hopefully by the time this episode airs, the books will be on their way to their new homes. When I put in my pre-order, they were thinking it it was to be about 600 or so pages. Last I heard, it was pushing around 800 Wow. Not too bad for the $50 price tag. Yeah. That's really it, I think. Thanks for your time and patience. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, thanks, thank you, ben. ben. And thanks for buying a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, too, want to be like Ben, you're ordering something on Amazon, go to our site first. You know what? In fact, if it, I'm, Ben's setting the bar really high. I'd like to see somebody. I, I'm challenge anybody else to find a product more than a lawnmower. Go through our site, purchase it, and and you know, let, we, there's a challenge out there now. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Ben Ben is the top of the. Uh, should, should, should we have a contest to go to the the traveling the vortex prize vault for <laughs> <order> the, <laughs> the, the most expensive house. Amazon purchase? <laughs> oh, we're gonna send you this book. <laughs> Congratulations. We're you giving a you a comic. free comic book. <laughs> oh, wait. I think we got a bumper sticker there somewhere, oh. too. We'll throw that in on top. We should have Traveling the Vortex bumper stickers. I put one on my car. Yes, you would. <laughs> Note to self. Look at printing some bumper stickers. Up next is Chrissy. I supported this podcast through Patreon, and all I got was this Lassie Pumper sticker. (laughs) Chrissy writes, Dear Vortex... Oh, uh, the uh, subject header is Update from Baby Life. Dear Vortex Boys, just wanted to give a quick update. Obviously, I've been kind of busy, and as such, I fell behind listening to podcasts. But I have been catching up during late-night feedings, meaning that, yes, you all have a new listener. (laughs) Hooray! (laughs) Yay! Not like he has much choice, but he seems to enjoy listening to the th- to you three talk. Who? Well, let me start that over. But he seems to enjoy listening to you three talk. Who? There we go. Start him young, right? Thanks for all the well wishes after Alex was born. Like I mentioned on Facebook, it was a pretty much tough, pretty a pretty tough labor, and I'm still recovering on some levels. All I can say is thank goodness for modern medicine. Plus, Alex had to be monitored in the hospital longer than normal because his breathing was fast and his blood sugar was low when he was born. Evidently, that's a common thing with newborn babies who are over 10 pounds at birth. Alex was 10 pounds, 14 ounces. So yeah, we were in the hospital for a few days more than expected. It wasn't exactly the most fun I've had, but we're home now and doing a lot better. And he's the cutest thing ever. But I'm very biased. Smiley face. (laughs) We're we're glad you're all home and doing better. Yes, absolutely. 
Also, Sean, I hope you're enjoying The Long Black. I do have it on good authority that the sequel is on its way and should be out within a couple of months. Wait, sequel? Does that mean this isn't going to end? <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to get a cliffhanger? I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> no, I am enjoying it so far, Chris. And major props to pronouncing the last name right. Which I couldn't do again if I tried. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not everyone even makes an attempt to say... Oh, she wrote it in here, so I have to say it. An attempt at saying Angel Weirden. Did I get it? I think you did. I'd have to go back and listen to <laughs> what I said last week to let you know. When they see it, so kudos to you for that. She had no idea I was going to read that. I bet she thought Sean was going to read yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, I don't appreciate your ruse. <laughs> and you weirded. Clever attempt to try and trip me up. <laughs> I did love your interview with Andy about the Lethbridge-Stewart books. Listening to him talk about the process of making this series was an absolute treat, and I can't, weed, rate, I can't wait to read the rest of the books. Speaking of things I'm still behind on, Anytime you want to get Andy on the podcast as your fourth Vortex boy is fine with me. (laughs) That's all I really have to say this week. Just that I'm listening and enjoying the podcast as ever. Hope you're all doing well, and I'll talk to you later. Chrissy and Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, Andy, the plan is to have him back on the podcast again when we talk about the conclusion to the lost skin. So he, right. he will, that's that's not right away, but once we get Havoc Files 4 and uh, we get it that may, back it out. It may be a longer wait. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Yeah, well, I, I, I posted my, my Goodreads review finally of Havoc Files 3, and my, my, my review blurb for the lost skin part 2 was all capital letters, Andy, why you make me wait so long for part 3? <laughs> And he replied, well, now you may have to wait a little bit. Oh, longer. no. <laughs> Way to go, Sean. Uh, well, uh, anyway, we will, FYI. <laughs> we, we will have our fourth Vortex Boy on the podcast again soon. Eventually. So. Well, let's move on to our reviews. Let's do so. Here, there be monsters. The distant future, the TARDIS with the Doctor, Susan, and Ian and Barbara aboard is drawn out of the vortex and lands aboard the Earth benchmarking vessel Nevermore, where Captain Rostrum is navigating by punching holes in the very fabric of space. The Doctor is appalled by this act of vandalism and fearful that it could unleash monsters from the dark dimensions. As the benchmarking holes begin to fray, the fate of the universe is at stake, and while the Doctor contemplates a terrible sacrifice, Susan befriends the Nevermore's first mate, Someone she will remember for the rest of her life. Bum, bum, bum. I quite enjoyed this one. I, I did, too. too. I, uh, I was struck initially with um, Susan's setup, where she's kind of explaining how she felt that Grandfather was not seeing the universe so much as trying to protect her from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought to myself... Isn't that odd? We've commented on that, that mm-hmm. the Doctor changes his personality once she leaves. And, wow, this just kind of ties right in with that. Big Finish is listening to us. Well, I think it, it, <laughs> I think it goes a long way to explaining why. We, we've always talked about in the first Doctor, Susan, Ian, and Barbara era, it always seemed like they were quick to run away from danger. Yes. That they'd pop in, find out they were in a situation, and it always seemed to be 
the fastest and quickest way they could get out of there is what they were. That was always their goal. It was never to step in and help or figure out. I mean, they always end up doing that, but I think inadvertently, but it was always seemed like they were, they were just ready to get out of there. If they could avoid it, they, they could. And I think this statement goes a long way to explain away why the doctor was very much that way is yeah. he wanted to protect Susan rather, you know, more important to protect Susan than to explore the universe to see the universe. Well, and as you say, Sean, why we see that shift once Vicky comes around. Yeah. I just thought it was it was really interesting that apparently we're not the only ones to feel that way. No. Susan herself thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that um, uh, Susan's uh, extrasensory perception or, or, or psychic ability that the doctor said was probably um, amplified by the sense... Sensor, sense sphere, sensor, sensor sphere, the, the sense sphere, sense sphere. Is that what it's called? I can't remember for sure. Um, is actually uh, alluded to here as well, and the it's fact the next that she's one. the next one. Oh, it was the next one. Yeah, I'm getting these mixed up. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> save that comment. For I'll later. save that for later. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I really That's like right, the yeah. idea of them. In this very first Doctor of this time with them, of them just kind of plopping somewhere and going out and exploring, and the fact that they show up on this ship and it's covered with vines. That's such a cool image to put in your head, and something so easy to wrap your brain around, too. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that it it winds up being alive and talks to you, and done so well with such a... Even though it's only two actors in this entire audio... The production value around it, you hear the the leaves so much, and you can. They did enough effect on uh, Caroline Ford's voice for Rostrum that it sounds like a completely different character. It works so well just on a production aspect. Well, and Caroline Ford really just nails it. She's fantastic. Oh in yeah, this. and it it's striking to me that for the number of years that have passed between her being Susan and and now, that I still hear Susan. It, mm-hmm. She just, it, you know, she. We, we've commented on stuff like this before when, you, know, you just you fall back into it. And, and this just, is her first one. Yeah, this is her first return to the character since what? It would have been five, five doctors? doctors. Yep. Well, no, that's not true. She was in. Um, I say we have the eighth dimensions doctor in time. Well, yeah. That's oh right. yeah. So these these would have predated these the eighth predated doctor. The eighth doctor one, yeah. So yeah, Adventures in Time would have been her last. Doctor. But still, that's many years oh, yeah. prior yeah, to. Yeah. Um, but she's really great. And the the idea with the plants, I, I liked the idea that, you know, as you said, it's a very first Doctor kind of visual that they're there and the spaceship is just covered with these vines that then follow them, you know, and they turn to watch them as they, as they go. And then backtracking the routes to the con- control room or the bridge and finding that there's a plant in charge of the spaceship. Okay, that's cool. But going one step further with the science behind that. Oh, yeah. That humanity has genetically engineered these plants because they don't get bored. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Wait, we're, our, our goal is to reach for the sun, but we never get there. So we can pilot the ships and everything. And I just kind of went, oh, that is just a really cool, nutty idea. I, I just, I really, really enjoyed That tickled me on my science funny bone quite just yeah okay i'm behind that that's that's just a really neat idea well, and, and the fact that earth is now so focused on poetic uh, on everything being poetical poetical <laughs> poetic <laughs> poetic and they don't care if the science is accurate it's if it's poetic that's all that matters yeah. mm-hmm. that's such a neat idea of 
And I could totally see the future going that direction if, if something doesn't happen. Yeah. From today. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not so ridiculous that it's not plausible. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it also in, opens up an interesting um, pos- uh, thing. Something to think about is we've done stories with the Ood, who was a slave race, basically, mm-hmm. that from what we knew was bred for serv- servitude. And that was what they it was at least conveyed to us as that's what that was their nature and their need in life. And then we've talked about um, the robots in the second story from this season, which is the name escapes me really quick. But um, the ones about the ones that that, that, that the smile bots. Yeah, the one with the emoji bots, and uh, they talk about the, the slavery amongst the those type. It, it's another step in another direction of of is can you breed in any way a slave race in order to be just subservient at all times to another particular race. And so it's almost like they take another step and go, okay, what's well, plants? I mean, plants, they have no feelings. They have no emotion. Does it, but I once, wondered if they were going to go there, if they were going to start raising the ethical questions. I sort of wondered if they would too. And I think it's interesting because once you give it a, a, um, a way to communicate, it does suddenly become self-aware. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I, so I, I was kind of, it opened the door for that ethical question, but didn't really ever go there. But I thought it was interesting. And it made me think that's, that's another step at trying to find, is there a way that you can have a society where there is a servant class that it wouldn't matter, that it doesn't matter, you know, whether it be computers, whether it be, you know, another species of alien or whether it be even plants. Does that even work? I had kind of hoped they were going to go there, but it did open up the door for the questions. Well, no, it was kind of nice to have an an alien, an alien or not so much alien, but a, a servant like this that is truly loyal, like completely. You, he never budges from his stance of believing what he's doing is right and following through with it. And that's kind of a nice, refreshing aspect of it, as opposed to it opens that question of the moral question, but then it balances it out with having the character not engage in the moral question. It's just, this is how he is, this is what he does, and that's all there is to it. There, To him, there isn't a moral question, but for us, there is. Right. It's a really neat way to do it. Well, I think because it has a sense of purpose. And right. I think that that's that's the most important thing to to this to what was his name they Rostrum him, Rostrum yeah that was a you know that was what it it, it was sole purpose what it didn't have it didn't question the the morality yeah. of it so which is nice because so many times you get those sort of stories where it opens that moral question and then that's all you deal with you don't do anything else mm-hmm. and it would have been easy in a way to, oh, yeah. to, to go there and have Ian or, or even Barbara would have been probably the appropriate one to complain about it and go, whoa, 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 you're a slave? You're... And then have the plant go, oh yeah, it's terrible. And, and so then you've kind of got that whole, okay, where are you going to well, go with even, that? Even like the Ood wanted to do the servitude, but we still explored that moral issue with Right. Them. But um, it, yeah, I, I agree with you that it was kind of nice to have just a the plant was okay with it. You know, the plant didn't see itself as a slave, and the, the, while the door was open, nobody really stepped through it because that wasn't the the goal of the story. Right. And I liked the fact that we had really kind of a double whammy because there's no bad guy in this story. 
There, if the, there is one, it is Rostrum. Yeah, well, the, the, the plant is not... There's an antagonist, but there's no bad guy. Right, the, yeah. The, the, the plant is set up initially that you maybe think it's the bad guy. And with the uh, the benchmarking and the, the, the these holes being punched through the fabric of, of space that, you know, that it was maybe intentional that they caught the TARDIS. And then you find out, no, that's just, you know, this is an accident. This is just the way this works. And the plant's pretty chill about it but no that's my mission i'm gonna keep doing it it's not malevolent it's not evil it's not uh you know it's not a raving it's got a good purpose behind man. the reason it's doing the you benchmarking know, it's, too. it's doing the benchmarking because humanity told me to and that's the very simple thing and then one of the whole one of the, the the punctures in the fabric opens this rift for these the nightmares from the under uh what you call it, the uh upside, the upside down. down and it's like oh this is gonna be the bad guy and then we meet one of them and it's kind of like no, they're 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 pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such an interesting idea to explore that they everyone thinks that whatever's on the other side is so are monsters, and while they may not be like us, that doesn't make them monsters. Right. I really like the fact that they explored that idea too. It's sort of coming back to me because I was arguing that yeah, no, they use the word upside down, but I, now that I think about it, I think he says the underneath. I think, yeah, I think that's what it was specifically, and that's what made me think of the upside down. Yeah. It's the same idea. The, it is the same idea and concept. Um, what I really, really like about these companion chronicles, and this is this is my first one. Well, this wasn't your guys' first one either, because no. we did the Caroline. We did Ford. Uh, the Bluetooth with yeah. uh, uh, Caroline. Caroline John. John. Yeah. Um, Caroline Ford. Yeah. Caroline John. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mixing names up here. Um, but what I really, really like about them is they are simply what they're called. They're chronicles. And it's as though the companion years later is sitting down and recounting this story, whether they're writing it down, whether they're putting it in a journal, whether they're telling the story, they're chronicling these adventures that we didn't see on screen. And so I think that goes a long way to um, make them acceptable that you're just hearing a lot of this from their voice, from their point of view. And it really uh, forgives the fact that they're having to do the voices of the other characters in them because, again, it's just them writing. It's their 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 thought or their telling of it uh, to us, the listener, and to whoever else in story this happens to be. But they always do a neat thing where they take and they put somebody together. And in this case, she still hears the voice of the first mate. And I think that that's... They kind of leave it a little ambiguous as to whether she's actually hearing him in presence or if she's recalling this it's it's or it's an image in her head and they leave that a little ambiguous even at the end i think Mm -hmm. as to whether he's still there but it does really good to set up the story and kind of give you a balance of two different voices within this since they're restricted to having to do it in such a way so it also plays off nicely with the whole i mean the title of this is here there be monsters and then the first line is i'll never forget the sound of your voice it haunts me or however she phrases it. Mm-hmm. So you're automatically kind of on guard for this to be a monster, to yeah. be a bad guy, something right. that has haunted her, something that is that is still to this day is affecting her in a negative way. And when all is said and done, that his main goal was just to protect the fabric of time and, and space because it was damaging their side of things and that ultimately he does have to sacrifice himself to fix the problem that that's why she is still kind of haunted by him that just it really turned it back around just tied back in with the 
I love the fact that there's no real villain right, in this right. piece. Yeah, that it's agreed. just, I mean, yeah, the the plant is because he's stubborn, but I, I can't, I can't villainize the plant. No, <laughs> Rostam's no. not the bad guy. So I just, I just really liked how this all came together. It was exceptionally well done that they, they set me up to with a preconceived notion that this is where they were going to go with it. And it didn't go there, and I just I was really tickled and pleased with how that. Well, I sort out. of get the the impression that that the first mate is almost the doctor's parallel on the other side, and that yeah. he's the one that steps through to to take he care talks of the about issue. being a traveler and all he sorts does of different and, things. and all of those different aspects. Although they physically they would be completely different, but I do think it was interesting that she felt that he looked familiar to her. And the reason being is because he used her the imagery in her mind, which would have been of her grandfather, and so that's why he kind of. I'm not, I don't get the impression they were like spitting image of each other, no. but at least there were features and and personality and and effects that made him be similar to the Doctor in many ways on this side as well, which I thought was kind of neat. Which, in my head, it kind of became like a William Hartnell Richard Herndall situation where. <laughs> two of them would standing next to each other. They would have looked similar, but just enough off. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a William Hartnell, David Bradley. Maybe. <laughs> Hi, Marks. I like I'm this one. High. I quite quite enjoyed that. Well, let's move on to the transit of Venus. The year is 1770, and a daring explorer, Captain James Cook, and his crew on the Endeavor are navigating the Pacific Ocean. In their midst come strangers, the First Doctor and Ian Chesterton, who are believed to have come from Venus. But the TARDIS is lost to them, along with both Susan and Barbara, and Ian makes an enemy of the ship's chief scientist, Joseph Banks. Why is Banks acting strangely? Could it be that the travelers are not the only visitors from the stars? Bum, bum, bum. I like this one, but it took me a long time to get there. I was concerned about it being a historical, and then we started to get elements of otherworldliness, and I, man, Ian suckered me in. I was, I was right there. Right. I fully believe he was some alien. He's yeah. an alien. He's a time traveler. He's oh, maybe he's maybe he's infected. Maybe he's got a parasite, and he's you know he's he's been possessed by something. Yeah, no, nope. <laughs> none of that, man. What's great? What what I really enjoyed about the story, in addition to. Uh, William Russell's performance in it is it's basically you, you don't get many just Ian stories and this is predominantly a just Ian story the doctor's there of course but he's kind of just in the background doing his own thing he spent the whole voyage reading maps yeah I mean pretty much <laughs> <Checking> navigation <laughs> is like okay but but to have it just the guys and the girls off doing their own thing and you don't really know what's happening with them until the very end is kind of a refreshing a- approach to this era of for the show. Mm-hmm. I think what I liked it about the most is that they, as I say, it eventually gets there to where I like it because as the story is going along, it's, it, it's frustrating me because I'm in the same boat. I'm thinking, okay, I, I know that this is a historical based on the fact that he's traveling with cooks and cook. And I know that banks is, a, is a science scientist on that scientific advisor on that particular mission. I know that from history. I know that from reading that. And so I'm thinking in the same way. I'm thinking, well, Banks can't be malicious because you, you can't set a character that way that is history historical that goes on to have advancements later on beyond this voyage as well. 
So my second thought is the same thing. There must be some sort of alien parasite or something's taking them over or something that they're going to consequently, you know, explain this away. But as the doctor continues to kind of poo-poo the idea that Ian keeps bringing to him about it, he, how would he know this? How it, and, the, and the doctor has all these rational explanations for it. I keep thinking, I realize that this is at a point in your relationship where you don't necessarily have it very much trust for each other. This would only have been right after the censorites. As, <laughs> as we find out later, is the uh, that Susan's psychic, psychic ability obviously goes beyond the sense sphere <laughs> in the sensorites, uh, which I thought was a neat callback to that and yeah. kind of gives her a little bit more of that, that credibility of where I think the show wanted to go with that but railed that back in stories that continued after the sensorites. Well, and but, the fact that this is literally on the heels of that story. It is. I it's mean, right after get, it. The reason why we wind up on this ship is them... Is the doctor being mad at Susan and, or not Susan, Ian and Barbara. Ian and Barbara and, and going to just leave them. Yeah. And, hey, this is Earth. This is good enough, if, no matter what time it is. Um, but I, I, I like that, that. But anyway, we're going that direction. And I, can't, I was getting mad at the doctor because I knew that Ian. And then, <laughs> then I kind of thought, well, maybe the, maybe the writer is trying to get me to sucker me into believing that Ian is going mad or has something wrong with him, or maybe he has an illness. Maybe there's something wrong with him. Maybe he's not even here. Maybe he's, it's the, the, uh, 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 Barbara situation we had with the Coal Hill school stories that we did in the short trips that, you know, she's really having this fever induced dream Mm -hmm. of what's going on. And it's really not. And I was thinking that maybe this is the case with Ian. And then it just kept going and trundling along. And I kept thinking, I, I'm so frustrated with where they're going with this because you're frustrating me because you, the doctor doesn't believe Ian. We've got this historical character that's acting, you know, strangely. And then when we get to the aspect of finding out that it was actually Barbara and Susan, and Susan specifically projecting the psychic uh, uh, communication indirectly, not knowing that she was doing right. it, when when all of the pieces fall together in place there at the end, it made everything that I'd listened to just perfectly fine. I was like, yeah. oh, that's absolutely the way this new So I gave this one a really high marks for that, for leading me down that path of I'm not sure I quite like this. I don't know where this is going. I'm feeling really uncomfortable to, aha, here's why you felt <laughs> like that. I thought that was cleverly done. It was very well done. And it was the, the first time the doctor poo-poos his idea with, well, obviously, you know, you put the idea in his head and then he would go into this. It's kind of like, Oh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay, yeah, I'll buy that one. He sort of rationalized yeah. he can it, I think, early that. on, yeah. But the second time he comes to him and says, well, no, he just, you know, it's like, how could he know about the prisoners? How can he know about the song? How can he know about... Well, because he's the one that recommends it. That doesn't explain the lyrics that he would... He, he can't know the song Botany Bay. <laughs> Ian, tell him that he can't do this. And Ian just kind of goes, oh, all right. And walks out. I'm like, no, you missed the crux of the argument. <laughs> well, I think it... I, I did like the fact that the doctor starts to... Uh, put forth the idea that well the reason he goes to the the uh, crown and says we should set up the island as a criminal uh, uh, island a, a criminal colony is because Ian supplanted the idea <laughs> and I thought about it. oh wow yeah. and so you you kind of have to take the, you kind of have to take the doctor's side of well okay it's still maybe more of that self fulfilling yeah. yeah yeah but um, yeah as it was just as it went on this is another one that. As as we got into it, I, I there was there was a line early in in the in the first one with Susan when uh, they they landed and um, she looks back and 
Barbara's got her head resting on Ian's shoulder or something, and he holds her hand, and she says, I wanted to tell them to just, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to tell them just to grab her and hold on to her tightly and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, I'm not the only one that ships Ian and Barbara. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. And then his comments in this one about... Oh, he all admits what he feels about Barbara. You know, Barbara she's my navigator, end. and I feel lost without her. It was just like... Oh. <laughs> so that was very satisfying. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like Big Finish listens to me. <laughs> well, I've always sort of felt that the reason why so many ship Barbara and Ian is because everybody collectively saw those things. Even if the, it, the, the subtext is there. Yeah, the subtext was there. Even if the show wasn't consciously doing that, the subtext was there enough that I think there's enough of a collective audience of Doctor Who fans we all see that we all saw that subtext and that's why it comes into stories like this into novels into books into you know things later down the line is we all have that same we've all come to that same conclusion that he and Barbara were a thing i mean that's oh, yeah. just simply what it is <laughs> so that that was very satisfying but just as we went on and and more and more things kind of dulled out with the story it got just more and more satisfying that this is how it's all going to happen now I do feel that the, you know, because they, they, they throw the TARDIS overboard. Which had me hook, line, and sinker of how, how, what, how, what? How are they going to get, see? How are they going to get back to that? What? I know they can't be stranded because, you know, logically, but emotionally, I was like, what? wait. <laughs> it did make me, that was another thing that frustrated me, is, was I thought, you, sometimes I can work out, well, okay, they could do this, or could they, I, that one I was going, and, and, no, they, no, they're sailing off on a boat. It's in the middle of the ocean. In a no, big, wide, yeah. blue ocean. Well, and, and, and Ian's, you know, the very Stallworth, well, when we get where we're going, we'll we'll build some equipment, and we'll we'll drag her up from the... And it's like... And what I thought was, how long I'm, is that going to be? Well, it's going to be years till you could do something and, and, like that. But I'm kind of like, okay, Ian, let's... let's uh, yeah, I believe you can do it. Until the doctor says, we're going to Australia. This is this is the mission. This is, oh, <laughs> there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> Months and years are going to go by before you even get anywhere to do... So I'm going, getting back to find it. When when they when they make okay, so they throw the TARDIS overboard, and Susan, with her quick thinking, ropes the boat, and kind of the TARDIS just gets dragged through the ocean for months. That's the one part of the story I had a little trouble yeah, swallowing. Well, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll allow it. She does well. She talks about it right at itself, and it's not like they were like on a rope that was like you know, 400 feet behind the boat being towed along (laughs) so that any movement seemed to be exaggerated. I I got the impression that the TARDIS was right up near the, the, the hull of the boat and they hooked the immediately to it very close, especially so that no one would be able to look over this. Cause if you're hauling it too far away, Somebody was going to notice that in the two yeah. months that they had traveled. If it's right down... <laughs> big square roof. <laughs> if it's right down by the hull of the boat and maybe even on where the curve kind of comes, I could see it being there. So she also talks about once they got it hooked and got back inside the boat, the boat, the TARDIS righted itself. Yeah. So, so it's... now all we're doing is we're going this way. And as long as there's, they've got all the water cleaned out and everything, well, and of course, until they hit the reef again. But, yeah. um, but once they get it right, I mean, there's... there's the realism of it is just as though they were floating in space at that point. Sure. So no, the TARDIS the does that. that it TARDIS functions that way. Hitching a ride on the boat, but not on the boat. It's kind of like. Well, I sort of like that. I sort no, of like it, that. It, because it fixed I, the problem. They, so like, that was okay, the well, only way you could separate well, the Doctor yes. and Ian from <laughs> and Barbara them. and Susan and be able to plausibly have them that 
that close to each other but that far away at the same and, time. And it's, it, it needed to happen for the psychic abilities to work. Because yes. I would yeah. not they have, would have been that near, her near. latent psychic ability was working from the bottom of the ocean yeah, oh, yeah, no, agreed. to Australia. Agreed. I, I wouldn't have bought that. Although, once I was kind of like, all right, fine, it hook, hitched a ride on the boat. Then, so, it hits the reef. So, did I mishear it right? Is that the same coast as when they start going to ground? That's the same place when they started going to ground. Okay, because yes. for some reason when I listened to it, I thought it was like the other coast and they had somehow got the aboriginals to carry the TARDIS clear across Australia. <laughs> oh, no, no. How was that? How no, did you get from there to there? It what? was nearby, yeah. Okay, no, yeah. all right. Nearby the same place. Okay, yes. then how they didn't see them, I don't know. But Under whatever. cover of dark. <laughs> well, I the got the impression it was like two weeks until they got to ground. It, it, well, here's the thing is. Or I, until they got on to, let's, to let's, shore. Let, I don't think it was two weeks, but it was. Several was days at least. The It was days because they had managed to get. I What I got the impression was is that the, the, the TARDIS got caught up in the coral stuck. reef first. Got stuck and then broke free from the boat. And that's why. They did manage to, because then they said it topples again, it opens up, the water starts to come in again. Yeah. They do manage to get it ashore and, and meet with the Aborigines and move them, and they, they, they bring it on board. And then it's Cook's people that eventually meet up with those same Aborigines. But it wasn't that early coast that they had come across okay. earlier, around, uh, which okay. had been weeks before. That's what that. I misunderstood. So I got then. the impression that the TARDIS had broke free at some point, got stuck, but it wasn't. It was the same coral, but it wasn't the exact same event. It wasn't happening simultaneous. Okay. All right, simultaneously to that. So. See that this part wasn't clear enough for me. Right, right. I love the idea that that the doctor or the doctor that that the, because Barbara so wanted Ian to be back that that's what caused uh, <laughs> Banks because that was the one thing I couldn't get around and say why would Banks maliciously push him into the water yeah and then fish him out to help him because I kept thinking there's something there that's what kind of led me to the whole oh. well it's delirium on on his part but to have that conveyance of Barbara wanted him back so bad that that's what caused the the <laughs> psychic event for him to push him but then realizing, oh, man overboard and put, bring yeah. it back, not knowing that he had done the pushing in the first place. Because when Ian genuinely goes to him and says, I know you pushed me, and he says, what are you talking about? I didn't push you. I rescued you. Yeah. So I, it was just and, really and that, well. that was the moment where my thought process went from alien to possession, that he has to be possessed. This is Banks. He's just got to be possessed in some way that there's some sort of influence that's being exerted over him. I was still going with alien, but, you know. Well, it was. And it yeah, you're right. I was right. <laughs> just wasn't what I expected. Once again, and it's, it's odd that we paired these two together just by crazy random happenstance or serendipity, as we like to call it around here. Well, I don't know how much of that is because this is uh, William Russell's first audio, too. So there had to be something in the writing because it's in the same uh, season. But no, William the had that done no villain. William oh, had done the this f- is another one with no bad guy. This I think is his first William, companion chronicle. Yes, his for, you're right. I was going to say, he had already done some big finish. Yeah. yeah. I think he'd done the Four Doctors and something else. But just, I, I don't think that we could have planned to pair two random companion chronicles up that wind up kind of complementing each other as well as these do with the well, fact that them being there's in no the, bad guy. Being them in the same series. Well, no, that, that in that aspect, in that, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. 
So just when you think you're ready to go, okay, alien possession. Where, 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 when do we get to? What's in the hold? Have you checked in the hold? Did you go? I mean, I was going through the hold. <laughs> you know, I've seen all the Tom Baker episodes. There's a thing in the hold. Ooh, maybe he's a Ruton. There's a I, there's yeah. a sentient plant in the hold. <laughs> <laughs> he's a Zygon. Go look for the the body print machine. Um, no, it's just. It's just it's just Susan transmitting. <laughs> yeah. Like okay, cool. well, and it's another misleading title too, because the transit that, of that's, Venus. That's the biggest problem I have with this is it felt like the transit of Venus was a title that was given to her when she was writing this, <laughs> and she said, "Okay, how do I make this work?" And then knowing either knowing ahead of time or researching that you know Cook had gone. That was one of the events that happened on his travels to Australia. Starting going, okay, I can formulate a story around that. But what was the point of them? I guess because they mysteriously show up, you had to have a reason for that. But carrying out that whole, well, they're from Venus and Cook buying that. I mean, granted, I know this was, what, the uh, 15th, 16th century, 17th century? Yeah, 16th century. So it's the 16th century, and they maybe were a little more gullible, and they had just observed the transit of Venus. But to, to to convince to use that as a plot device that there are these traveling Venusians that have come to Earth, that just that seemed that to me was a stretch. That was that was the thing that I thought this element wasn't needed at all. There was no reason there why really yeah. they had to be believed no. to be Venusians because other than mysteriously showing up, there was no other reason for them to be spacemen. Yeah. <laughs> so, other than, I, in, in a way, you had to have them. They had to materialize out of thin air, which because I think they if did. they had materialized in the hold, they'd have just There's been stowaways. So they yeah. gotten killed, you know, and, and that that would have been the end of it. So the fact that they just poof materialized out of thin air in front of everybody, okay, now we need to have a logical explanation for that that would be acceptable to to, to that primitive state of mind, and saying. Oh, we're travelers from Venus, and knowing that we just witnessed the celestial event is like, okay. I, I suppose mean, it's, that's true. It's it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's thin. I'm not it's I'm not saying it's thin. not. It's very thin, but it's it's more believable than we're magicians, <laughs> <laughs> jazz hands. wizards, or something. Yeah, With, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if this was uh, because they're scientists. If this was uh, if medieval this was times, Viking then, country, or something, yeah, or yeah, Vikings, then, 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 I, then I could have yeah, gone wizard with that route. Yeah. But uh, with as you just said, since this was a, a scientific expedition. That's a little more scientifically believable. That okay. Now so, I didn't like Ian's excuse at the end for telling Banks, "Oh, I was experimenting on you." Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you could have just apologized and walked off. Yeah. <laughs> it. You could have said the transit affected you him, more than you thought. Of him it. being a Venusian from that standpoint and was experimenting on him, I thought works a lot better. So I suppose that element. Although oh, still thin, you, <laughs> although still thin, worked for me in that that aspect. So, so I have a small confession. All of the third Doctor's references to Venusian Aikido, I always just thought, oh yeah, some alien planet. Never uh, really thought. I didn't realize it was Venus. I didn't realize it was ah, Venus. I, n- really? I don't think I'd ever. I had heard, obviously heard the word Venusian before. I never connected it to Venus. So this was my first realization of, oh, so now I want to see a story set on Venus. <laughs> if you're from Earth, you're an Earthling. If you're from right. Mars, you're a Martian. If right. you're from Venus, you're a Venusian. I guess I'm if so used from, to the idea of nobody being on Venus if you're that from I never Jupiter, think of aliens. If you're well, from Jupiter, you know what you are? Jovian. Jovian. Jovian? Jovian. Jovian. Hmm. Interesting. 
Beyond that, I don't know what the other Plutonian? ones. Plutonian. I suppose you would be Plutonian from Pluton from Pluto. <clears throat> I don't know what Saturn is. I don't know what Eurasian? any. I don't know what any of the other ones are. Mer- Mercurian. I don't think Mercurian is one. Uh, Eurasian. I would think. Eurasian. I bet you're right. Yeah, Eurasian. Saturnian. Saturnarian. Saturnarian. It's as good a word as any. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose at this point we start making them up. <laughs> so yeah, that's my confession. Huh, I had no idea. Well, very good. Well, two very good stories this week, and I'm glad we all. What are people from Saturn called? We'll see if Google knows. I think there's literally already established scientific names. There for probably them. is. Yeah. That's the only reason I know the ones I know. Doing project. Saturnian. Saturnian. Okay. All right. Well. Although words I... such as Martian and Venusian have absolutely nothing to do with describing <laughs> Venusian atmosphere, Martian landscape, uh, but it is Saturnian, Uranian, and Neptunian. Neptunian. Oh, okay. So now you know. Those are the planetary objectives. But these are not the names for hypothetical life on these planets. Oh, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> According to Yahoo Answers. So. <laughs> well, it's because we haven't had a chance to name them until we actually discover them, I suppose. All uh, right. And possibly ask them what their names are. Yeah. <laughs> what do you call yourselves? Yeah, that's, that's something that has always bothered me about science fiction is we go, oh, you're Martians. And the, the Martians are going, no, we're terrestrials. <laughs> you're the Earthlers. You yeah. know, or, or whatever, of, whatever they the would come up with. That's one of the things I like so much about John Carter is the fact that they weren't Martians. They were Bosumians. Yeah, yeah. All right, Keith, what do we got coming up on the schedule? I wasn't ready for that. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not used to doing the schedule. <laughs> I know, and I knew you wouldn't be ready. <laughs> well, I can tell you our Friday Night Who selection for next week is the first three parts of Talons of Wen Chiang, starring top con guest, Deep Roy. You say starring. <laughs> featuring. <laughs> featuring, maybe, is better. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's featuring. <laughs> technically, the entire plot does revolve around the succubus. Well, I, mean, I suppose that's true, yeah. He, he is, for, for for limited screen time, the most important <laughs> character in, the, he's in the, the whole thing. The Russ. most important minor character ever <laughs> in the story of Doctor Who. Um, but yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll be, we're going to be break that, because that one's a long one. It's a six-parter, so we're going to break it up over the next two weeks. So parts one through three this week uh, for Friday Night Who... Parts four through six the following. For the podcast next week, we are finishing off Fourth Doctor Adventures Season 2 with Episode 6, The Dalek Contract, and Episode 7, The Final Phase. And the podcast after that, we will be discussing Top Con and A Brief History of Time Lords. Yeah. And you you can find all of that scheduling on our website, uh, travelingthevortex.com. And while you're there, please consider becoming a patron of the website. And on the left-hand side of the page, right-hand side of the page, you'll find a button that will uh, take you to Patreon, in which you can uh, donate to the podcast. And, of course, we've got links to other places. Amazon is one of those. Uh, A portion of those proceeds go into this uh, podcast as well. Go buy a lawnmower. Go buy a lawnmower. (laughs) And then we also have a merchandise store on our website we'd like you to check out, too. And we have... Freshly minted buttons on there now, I as Sean discovered. Moves. Actually, I've been on there for a while, but Sean just discovered them tonight. I just them tonight. discovered the buttons. I'm very excited. I may have to order some buttons, because yeah. I think they're cool. 
uh, as, as a certain uh, other TV show uh, will let you know, winter is coming. So maybe you need a snowblower. Oh yeah, there oh, you yeah, go. Yeah. So yeah. you know that that's, that could be available. That can be that too can be yours through Amazon or a, or a sword made of dragon glass via, via us. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we haven't even got to the pledge drive yet. <laughs> I think I'm coming up with some ideas. All right, <laughs> all right, Keith. How can people contact us? Oh, you, while you're on the website shopping, just fill out the send us feedback tab. <laughs> <laughs> or you can reach out on to us on any form of social media. We're out there pretty much everywhere. Sean, anything else we need to touch on this week? I don't think so. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.